In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Mike and I talk about 10 key takeaways from MicroConf 2018. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 392. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we made. So we're this week, sir. Well, just uh, following up on all of the post-conference work from MicroConf. So we had the two editions back-to-back again. I think that it was a overall resounding success. Most of the feedback that I've seen has been pretty good. The, the conference itself has been outstanding. You know, a few uh, downsides in terms of like certain hotel rooms and things like that. But uh, I think generally speaking, everything went really, really well. Yeah, at this scale, we know now that something will always go wrong with someone. You know, when you're at, when you're moving 400, 425 people, whatever it is, something's going to happen at some point. You just hope that overall the conference, the speakers do well, and the contents there, and the attendees are cool, and everybody gets along. You know, and and you're just kind of trying to manage it. So yeah, I I felt really good about this year. It was definitely I actually this is a second year since we split starter and growth, and I feel like this was perhaps a better overall conference experience this year. I agree. I definitely agree with that. In other microconf news, I realized I don't know that we had promoted that our 2017 microconf talk videos are all available for purchase. It's 99 bucks for starter, 99 for growth, or 149 for both. And so we will link that up in the show notes. But if you go to Vimeo and you search for microconf 2017, you can just purchase it right there through Vimeo. I sent out an email yesterday if you're already on the list. But if you're interested in hearing about future videos, you know we use the we sell the videos in order to subsidize the cost of the recording because it you know. It's no trivial feat to get a company like Less Films to fly two guys out with all the camera equipment and you know hang out for four days in essence, and then edit all that and, and produce it. So we are selling to uh, you know to help augment that. And if you have enjoyed MicroConf videos in the past, we do have MicroConf 2012 through 2016 that are all live for free available on the MicroConf.com website, and you can check that out. Another thing is we need questions for the podcast. I think we're down to maybe three or four questions at this point. So if you have a question for us, you should record an MP3 and you can email it to questions at startupsfortherestofus.com or you can call our voicemail at 888-801-9690 or you can always email a text question and we'll read it on air. We've been doing one or two Q&A episodes a month and those seem to um, be pretty valuable to folks and it's nice to have other voices on the podcast. So if you have questions, please send them in. So I assume that our agenda for this week is the uh, takeaways from MicroConf 2018, correct? That's right. Yeah, we're going to pull some takeaways from some of the talks. You know, unfortunately, I was trying to do the math in my head and I think between starter and growth and the attendee talks, there were 30 different talks on stage, give or take one. I was trying to do the math in my head, but so there's no way we could possibly talk about all the talks, even though the quality of the talks this year was very, very high. And I'm not just saying that because it's a conference we run. Um, I was really impressed with a lot of newcomers who had never spoken on the MicroConf stage and how typically there are some misses when that happens because MicroConf is such a high speaking bar and it's so different than so many other conferences, but really people kind of crushed it, you know, almost across the board. And so we can't possibly mention all 30 talks, but we have 
distilled it down. We're going to talk about 10 key takeaways that we got. If you want to do a deep dive into the talks, there is a site. It's at microconfrecap.com. Thanks to Christian Jenko for taking copious notes over the, the course of that four days. And then John Huang, who is helping him by recording, you know, audio files. Um, there's kind of like six minute versions of, of some of the talks uh, where they interviewed speakers and then they're posting it there. There are photographs of the speakers. I mean, they really did it up this year in a way that, that makes it look really cool. Yeah, that's a, that whole microconfrey cap site that Christian put together is absolutely amazing. I mean, you can go over there and uh, sign up for a, a mailing list he's got there. But every single speaker that is listed, there's all sorts of stuff there. And he took I was talking to him about this. He wrote an app that would allow him to basically take these notes better and put them out there, which was just amazing <laughs> that, that he went through all that effort to be able to take notes quicker and to be able to publish them faster and format them in a way that actually looks really, really nice conferencenotes.com. I see a SaaS app in his future. It's, it's a small, it'd be a rough market, but it, it, it is funny. It was cool that he kind of put it together. So across the two conferences, I think we had about 250 folks at growth and we had somewhere around 150 at starter. So somewhere north of between 400 and 425, I think is what we were talking about, who came through over the course of those four days. And I picked out some feedback because we got this, the growth and starter surveys back where we ask attendees to rate speakers and, and give us feedback. And I wanted to call a couple of them out. One, the first one, you had asked for um, for jokes because that's you know that's kind of our shtick, right? Is that we tell kind of nerdy programmery and often bad jokes from stage. Mm -hmm. And one, one comment was, I thought Rob's jokes were funny and spot on. Boom. Was that comment from you? Did you put in that? No, it was not. <laughs> that's a good guess. I don't know. I didn't recognize the name of who it was from, but I think they were, they were kind of implying like, why are you asking for other jokes? It sounds like you guys got this dialed in. I thought that was funny. And then, but then there was another comment that was like, any jokes, but the ones Rob was telling. You know? <laughs> so it was the exact opposite. It was great. And here's these other, I want, these were literally like one was above the other in the document. And this is to show you, you know, if you haven't run an event like this or you haven't worked with a community, like the, the amount of, of information and, and differing information and differing opinions you can see is illustrated by these two things. And I brought them in here because I was literally read one above it and then went down and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So the, the, First comment is, the Q&A with Patrick Collison, who's a co-founder of Stripe, was outstanding. It would be nice to see more Q&A sessions with high-profile individuals. Right below that, the Stripe Q&A seemed really out of place and was probably the worst talk for me. It was unrelatable. If I wanted to hear about Silicon Valley, I would go to a Silicon Valley conference. So isn't that, uh, that kind of just where you have to sit when you have this many people? I, I think it is, but I think it also illustrates a big problem that as entrepreneurs, we kind of have to navigate where you get all this information that's coming in and some of it is directly conflicting with one another. So you have to interpret or read between the lines a little bit and see how certain things feel versus what what the feedback is that you're getting, because a lot of the feedback that you're getting is very, it comes from a certain point of view or a set of past experiences and interests that people have, and you can't always align with everything. Like you can't make everybody happy. It's just not going to happen. But you have to do what you believe is right, even if that means pissing some people off or making them upset about what the decisions you're making are. So it's a tough road to navigate, I think. But at the end of the day, you got to make the decisions and move forward. You can't just be paralyzed and not do anything because then you'll just never get anything done. Yep. And to realize that it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to please everybody. And you're never going to, you know, your app's never going to be done. Your conference is never going to be done. This is a 15th time we've run a, a microconf. And you're always, you know, uh, adjusting and, and trying to make it better. 
So with that, let's dive into a few of the takeaways. I'll start with um, some of the talks from growth in no particular order. I really enjoyed Nadia Koja's talk. It was called The 12 Principles of Viral Content. And Nadia is the Director of Marketing at Vengage. It's a, a SaaS app that helps you create uh, infographics and, and interesting viral content in essence. And my takeaway from here is that there really can be a thought process and almost a system for creating content that is more likely to go viral. And that's something, you know, it's it's often talked about, like I've seen Matt Inman, the oatmeal, he was interviewed by, by Mixergy or by Andrew Warner on Mixergy about, you know, how do you make this stuff go viral? And he was just like, look, this was bad. He was like, I'm one of the best in the world at this. Like, this is really hard to do. And Andrew kept trying to pull a system out and Matt just has one in his head, but he wasn't totally able to communicate it. What I liked about Nadia's talk is that she broke it down into pieces. So just a couple of the, you know, we're not going to go through all 12, obviously, but a couple of the things she mentioned are like bust a myth, challenge the status quo, reframe the question, bring in a new perspective, mash up multiple topics like Star Wars with Game of Thrones or whatever. And so I enjoyed this. And I also heard, you know, positive feedback from folks in the audience about it. I think the other thing that I took away from her talk was because of her role at Vengage, they have all these things that they're doing and they're constantly doing this stuff. And not everything is going to be a hit and not everything is going to go viral, but being consistent about trying these different things and putting out different infographics or making different articles, concentrating on different headlines, those all contribute to the overall success. It's not about whether an individual thing that you do goes viral. It's about the number of attempts that you make and trying to get at least some of them to go viral. You don't need to make every everything successful, but as long as like a certain percent of them do well, then you're fine. Yep. And it's for her, it's pattern matching, right? They've tried a bunch of different things and this is what has worked for them. And that's what I like. I always love those stories, right? Where on, on microcom stage, it's like coming out of the experience of someone who is actually boots on the ground doing it. Another talk that was, uh, well, it was the Q&A I mentioned earlier, actually. It was Patrick Collison, co-founder of Stripe, which, uh, you know, at this point, what's their what's their valuation, you think? $10 billion or something? Eight to, eight to $12 billion, I think? Yeah, that's that's about what it is. I think I saw $9 billion, but it's it's almost immaterial when you get up to that, <laughs> to those many zeros. It's crazy. But the, the reason we have Patrick on stage, or one of the reasons, is that the, he and his brother John bootstrapped it for months and months. I don't know if it was it was over a year, but it was a long time before you know they, they went and raised funding. And really at the heart, uh, kind of the core of their company is this bootstrapper ethos. So I enjoyed talking to him. I had interviewed him a couple years ago on stage. You had interviewed his brother John last year on the on the starter stage. And it's always kind of a pleasure to have those guys um, come into town and, and hang out with some microconf attendees. I do find his outlook on just the world and the technology industry very enlightening and, and very different, I think, from most of what you find in Silicon Valley and most of the tech companies that are out there. I mean, their their goal and their they see their role is really to foster the tech community because by helping other startups, it basically like you're raising the ocean, you're floating all ships in the, in the tech industry. And I think that that's a really unique approach that they are at the scale where they can do that at scale and not really have to worry about the the finances and the ROI of certain things. They can just do things that they think are the right thing to do that will help certain parts of the ecosystem. And I think their, their Stripe Atlas program is exactly one of those things. I mean, one of the things that I thought was extremely, I'll say gratifying in some way, but the, the fact that they essentially launched those on the same day that microconf started and they started talking about it that day and and again like from the stage as well it was just really nice to see that that was brought to the microconf community 
Yeah, the Stripe Atlas LLC, right? Because Atlas had only previously been C-Corps. And I guess you could kind of change stuff into S-Corps, but realizing that a lot of businesses just want to be an LLC and have passed through revenue, and it took a lot of work for them to do this. And they basically, yeah, kind of announced it at MicroConf, in essence. It was, it was super cool. Yeah. The other thing I like is the humility of where they came from. The one quote that really caught me off guard on stage when he was talking about the early days when they were trying to partner with one of the larger banks was he said, we were like three squirrels in a trench coat masquerading as a real business. And of course, it got a lot of laughs from the audience. But that's, I think, how a lot of entrepreneurs feel when they're trying to pitch a big business and they're just the small fish in the giant ocean and they have no power and they're just sort of lying to everybody like about who they are, but they're they're not lying about themselves. It's just they feel that way. Yeah. I love that image of the squirrels, squirrels in a trench coat too, just like, in, just like in the cartoons. Our next talk was my talk. It was 12 lessons I learned moving from bootstrapped to venture-backed, where I talk about you know having bootstrapped really since 2000 is when I started bootstrapping companies. And then in 2016, Drips acquired by Leadpages, and I had two years kind of looking into, you know, on the inside of a venture-backed company. And I pulled out the pros and cons that I felt like venture funding lent to to this company and how I think it, it hurt the org and how I think it actually made some of the the things we did a lot easier. I was less stressed and we could hire specialists and we could hire senior talent instead of having to train everybody. We could use a dedicated recruiter. Didn't have to worry so much about little dollars, you know, the $100, $200 subscription. I used to spend hours and hours trying to find the cheapest thing because as a bootstrapper, you're, you know, every penny counts. But when you have some funding, it's like it can be a, a tiny bit looser than that and it saves quite a bit of time. I think it's a, what you talked about was a really good contrast between being in a position where you can let things slip through the cracks and it doesn't matter. I mean, remember, you know, years and years ago, I was looking at various things that were going on in the industry and like I'd have a, a conversation with a support rep or some piece of a piece of software wouldn't work. Or even when I was back at Pedestal, there was a bug that I distinctly remember. I was like, we really need to fix this. This is a problem. And they're like, we'll just push it. it it'll go out in the next release or the release after. I was like, but this is, this is big. This is an important thing. And they're like, no, no, later on. And I'm like, how can you not care about it? And the reality is that it's not that you don't care. It's about prioritization. And I think as a bootstrapper, your priorities tend to be around preserving money so that the business has financial room to operate versus when you're a big business or you're funded, it doesn't matter so much. And you can let things go until later on because they are not so large that it makes that big of an impact in the business or how it operates or you know customers that it attracts. Right. And so I think my key takeaway, kind of the second takeaway for this episode is that you should never be, you know, dogmatic about being anti-venture or anti, you know, bootstrapping or whatever. I do. I did come to the conclusion kind of in the talk that I don't think anyone in this room should probably raise venture funding because it brings with it a board and you lose the control and it's it's really tough. But there it does come with some pluses. But that there is this in-between ground that has just started to develop over the past, I'll say, three to five years. And it's it's this concept of fund strapping where you raise a small round and you never plan to raise a series A. You never plan to raise institutional money. And so you only get it from individual investors. So you don't have a board and you don't give up control and you don't need to get to $100 million to, 
to make a lot of money for everybody. And so that is could be an alternative. And I was saying, on top of my head, I was like, ah, I bet it's like 5% of the people in here maybe should consider this. Because you have to be growing fast enough. It has to be a big enough market for that to make sense. And then everyone else should keep bootstrapping, just like we've always talked about. You know, But this was just kind of one more alternative that gets you some of the advantages of raising funding without the disadvantages of, of going a true venture model. Because once you do venture, it's institutional money and the game changes. So our next talk was how to be funny even if you're not improv-inspired copywriting tips for software founders. And it was from Leanna Patch, and it was hilarious. It was really, really well done. This was one of my favorite talks. I agree. I mean, I, I would have to say it was probably my favorite talk as well. And I'm, I'm not biased just because she wrote some of the copy that's on the Blue Tick website and in the uh, Blue Tick emails, but just like her stage presence, her ability to break it down and, you know, be serious about like, these are the things that will resonate with your audience. And these are the things that you should really avoid when trying to be funny in your copy. I mean, she knew that stuff cold. And, you know, it, it's obviously like she practices her craft a lot and deeply understands what is going to work and what isn't. And I think that's partly because of her improv background as well. So she does a lot of that. I think she's done stand-up comedy as well, but she really appreciates like the value of being able to put yourself in other people's shoes and understand what is going to be funny to everybody versus, you know, being deprecating about your comedy to other people. Yeah. And so, I mean, the takeaway here, there's obviously a lot of takeaways. Again, microconfreecap.com if you want to see the detailed notes. But the big takeaway I got is humor makes people happy. And you want people to be happy while they're using your app. And it gives your app personality and it makes people give you the benefit of the doubt. So I uh, really enjoyed this talk and hope to have Leanna back at a future conference. I do think that it was ironic that the second question that she got in the Q&A was somebody who got up and said, I'm in the funeral industry. <laughs> Man, that was funny. I thought that was the first question. It was dead. And I don't think he meant it to be funny, but it, people, I mean, I was laughing hysterically when she, and her result, her reaction on, on stage was like a face palm. She's like, I cannot believe that's the question. But she had a great answer for it though. Yeah, like there's, right. she, she said like, it depends a lot on, you know, like how your audience views death. And I think that that's just very insightful. And, and that's part of why I like her so much. She, she has that ability to hone in on what, what makes it funny and why, and when is it appropriate and when it is not. And I think that that differentiates people, you know, you from people who are jerks about it versus, you know, the, the, they're actually legitimately funny because they know when to be funny and when not to. Another talk from growth that I wanted to call out was from Encore Nagpal, and it's from zero to 10 million ARR, the tactics we used to scale Teachable. So he founded teachable.com. I imagine many people listening to this uh, have heard of it and has done a lot of hustle to get, get where they are. My takeaway here was he talked about they set a pretty aggressive growth pace and that they found things that didn't scale every month to hit that growth pace. And then at a certain point, they couldn't get to that point anymore. Like it would be, they'd have to grow a hundred grand of MRR in a month and they couldn't just throw one-off things like they were doing for the first couple of years. And that's when they had to, to switch into this kind of sustainable flywheel mode. And there was a lot, I felt like a lot of actionable stuff. If you actually, if you want to bootstrap a business and you want it to be lifestyle business, grow it to a few hundred grand, that's great. And this talk probably won't be for you. There'll be some takeaways. But if you find yourself in a space, like I, you know, we did a couple of years ago with Drip where suddenly it was like, oh, good God, this is a huge market and it's, it's really big and we kind of need to grow or we're going to get squashed. This is the kind of talk that you need to hear. And it was super actionable. And I appreciated uh, Encore sharing that with the audience. I think it was uh, very insightful that he also kind of showed like that 
the scale that they're at, it takes people to get there, you know, because you can't just slap together an app and expect that three people are going to be able to build something that's going to get to millions of dollars of revenue each year. And yes, you hear those Silicon Valley stories about people who create this app and then it gets acquired by Facebook for, you know, billions of dollars, but that's not common. And most people never go through that. That's that's the unicorn story. But unfortunately, like that resonates in the in the news and in the tech articles that you see. But I mean, he talked about how the, the fact was that in order to get to 12,000 customers, it took them 64 people to get there. And it's just, it's interesting that if you look at the, the graphs of the revenue and stuff that he showed, it takes time and it's a fairly steady slope. I mean, it's kind of like the the long, slow SaaS ramp of the death from Gail Goodman from Constant Contact. She had that talk at Business of Software several years ago. And almost without fail, like you talk to most founders and that's exactly what it looks like. It's long, it's slow, and it's boring, but it's what gets you there. It's, that's what works. The last uh, growth talk I wanted to call out was just such an outlier, and it was it, it was really well delivered. It was an attendee talk by Chad Deshawn. He runs BoardGameTables.com, and the title was "Everything You've Learned at MicroConf Is Wrong." with an asterisk by it. And it was a little tongue in cheek, but it was the fact that he basically started a B2C company make selling physical goods with no recurring revenue. And so he had points like recurring revenue is overrated. Uh, he talks about how if you get your LTV all up front, you have more, you know, more cash coming in. Annual plans are overrated. It is possible to move down market. Just listen to or listen to podcasts at 1x. <laughs> he says seriously, you don't have to cram information into your ears as fast as possible. Take a deep breath and relax. It will be okay. So it was great. It was it was filled with humor but also just a nice, it's a nice sanity check on, you know, on the, the stuff that we pour out that yes, is best practice and will get you to that, the multi-million dollar SaaS company or it'll help you grow or whatever. But he just, he had another lens on it. And I felt like it, it was a, a bit of a breath of fresh air in, in his 12 minute attendee talk. Yeah, and I think Chad's real point is just that just because something is best practice information or that it's a, a general practice that most people should follow doesn't mean that it's an absolute concrete rule that everyone needs to follow and that will always work. There are cases like his where those things will not work, or there are exceptions that you can leverage based on what your product is and what your industry is, and you know you can you can still do what you want and be successful if you are mindful of those other things, those those general practices, but don't take them as absolute law. And then switching over to starter in the interest of time here, it, this is really is a bummer, man. I wish we could talk about more, more of the talks because there were a lot of other exceptional talks that were given at both conferences. Wanted to kick off starter by giving a big shout out and a thank you to Justin Jackson. He emceed and he had the, you know, basically the, the kickoff talk that kind of sets the stage for microconf it's a ton of work to MC a conference you and i know and so to ask him to do it volunteer basis was was really it was a super cool that that he was able to do it and he did a great job the first talk was justin's it was called an unconventional way to validate your product idea and in typical fashion he tells a story he talks about choosing the right customers more important than what you sell starting small is almost always better than going big on and on and other stuff that was i think really pertinent to uh to the starter audience. And I really like the way that he thought about, you know, there's product market fit, product founder fit, and founder market fit. So talking about, you know, what do you value? Do you enjoy this market? And then talked about customer research. So we kind of laid out a blueprint for validating. And I, I think the talk was uh, quite well received. 
Yeah, definitely a big thanks to Justin. And I, I do appreciate that he came on stage and he said the things that are not necessarily directly related to making the business itself successful. It's making sure that it's successful for you as well. Because as you said, the, the founder market fit, and that's a big thing. Like if you get bored by a particular product or industry, you're not going to want to do it. You're going to be less motivated. I think that other founders have talked about that in the past and, you know, in, in certain public and potentially non-public areas. So I'm not going to name names or anything, but that can definitely happen. I mean, if you don't really like what it is that you're doing, it's really hard to be motivated to, you know, go through those tough times and it's easier to give up. Another notable talk was from Adam Wavin. It was called Nailing Your First Launch. And he dug in, also a good story with actionable takeaways, talked about launching essentially uh, information products about teaching people how to use Laravel and test-driven Laravel and that kind of stuff. And in two years, he made about 650 grand from his, his info products, kind of from a, not a cold start, but almost. And he pulled things in. He pulled, you know, my stair-step approach in. He talked about building an audience, but gave super actionable things of actual screenshots of tweets and kind of what works. Talked about picking an idea, testing it, and on and on. And so this was one of the talks that I heard the most about at Starter that people loved. It was almost like a case study, but it was entertaining as well. So it wasn't dry. And he just had a ton of, uh, of info here. And I think part of the thing that resonated with most people is that it was starting from ground zero because most of the people at Starter are at that very, very early stage, anywhere from I'm still looking for an idea all the way up to I just launched, but I'm certainly nowhere close to making a full-time revenue on it. And it's going to be a while before I get there. So I think that Adam's talk really resonated with a lot of people because it demonstrated how to get some of the growth and some of the different levers that you could toggle in order to get there. And it's obviously not all of them, but an info product is a lot different than a SaaS product. And being able to have the confidence that, oh, yes, it's just a book or just a course, but you know, $600,000 over the course of two years is nothing to sneeze at. And I think that, that that message alone resonates with people to be able to get to that point in only a couple of years versus the people who sit there and say, well, I'd really like to start a business, but I'm not sure about it. And it takes them five years or 10 years to even pull the trigger and, and do something. Another notable talk was from Ali Blum, who has appeared on this here podcast. Talk title was Why and How to Start Thinking About Teaching People How to Use Your Product, Even If It Isn't Built Yet. And she went deep into onboarding, which is her area of specialization. She calls herself a SaaS onboarding optimization consultant. And so she's knee deep in tons of SaaS apps. And she talked about the, you know, the, the mistakes she sees that are super common, the vacation photos approach, the too much too soon approach, the bad intern approach. And then she talks about how to improve upon that and how to keep it simple, but then really dives into the nuts and bolts of how to put your email together and then the impact that can have, and then kind of had a case study at the end. So again, what I liked about this is it was a, it's a process and a very specific instructional thing that if this is the, the problem you're trying to solve right now, this is like mind-blowingly uh, applicable. Yeah, and I think that the whole email onboarding process is something that can be difficult to figure out when you're first doing it because there's just so many things you could do. And it's a question of, well, where do I start? What should I say here? How do I fit all these pieces together? And you can very easily find yourself in a situation where you're going too far in a particular direction and you're not thinking strategically about the whole picture of bringing somebody on board into your app. And so you go too far in one direction or the other. And, you know, Ali's talk was a, a great way to balance those things out and provide that instructional manual or the, the roadmap to tell you, like, this is how to do it. And these are the steps to go through. And this is how it will work out for you. 
Another talk I wanted to call out was from Mr. Mike Tabor. It's called Following Up Without Looking and Feeling Like a Dirt Bag. And you talk about email follow-up, why to do it, what happens on the other end, why don't we follow up? And this, of course, is from all your experience with BlueTick. How'd you feel about your talk? I thought it went really well. I mean, I, I gave a version of this talk in FemtoConf a couple of months ago. So I did make some changes to it based on the feedback that I got. But I mean, overall, like it, it was still largely the same talk. I just cut out pieces that were irrelevant or didn't make much difference. Um, and I, I definitely spruced up the slides a little bit more this time around because I think before there were there were some things that I think weren't necessarily as clear and, and the new presentation I think helped. Yep. And the, the key takeaway for me here was you had the four pillars of follow-up success. The first is when to send. The second is personalization. The third is clearly defining a single action you want them to take. And the fourth is to automate it so that you don't have to sit there and do everything yourself. Yeah, and I think that's that last piece there is the one that most people don't really get to. They don't systemize it or processize it so that it makes sense and can kind of operate in the background because most of the times that I see people coming over to Bluetick to use it, they've done a few follow-ups here and there, but lots of things start slipping through the cracks. And that's really why you need to have a process or a system in place that's going to help prevent those types of things. Because every time you don't follow up on an email, whether it's the third or fourth one, that's, that's what's going to cost you the money. Another talk that I thought was was quite well done was uh, Marie Poulin's talk. It was called The Sustainable SaaS, What Permaculture Can Teach Us About Building Software. And she's in the midst of uh, co-founding a SaaS herself. She has online courses. She has all kinds of stuff. And so, again, was able to pull from her experience and compare it to, so permaculture, if you're not familiar with it, is a set of techniques and principles for designing sustainable human settlements. It's a lot about like farming and gardening and, and you know, keeping things so that you don't need a bunch of outside resources in order, order to live. And so it was cool that she was, she kind of had her timeline 2014 through 2018 of, of these missteps and then how they line up with like things that you would do in permaculture. So it was a, it was a running metaphor the entire time. And as a running metaphor, I think it fit really well because, you know, the audience itself at MicroConf, whether you're talking about growth edition or starter edition, the vast majority of these people are coming because they want to build a life for themselves and their families that is going to be sustainable over the long term. They're not looking to come in and find a market, build something, get a bunch of money into it and flip it in two years, three years, four years. They're looking much longer term. And it's not to say that they won't sell it in two or three years or four years, but they're trying to find something that's going to be sustainable for them moving forward, that they can build a life around that allows them to do the things that they want to and have the freedom and flexibility that and being an entrepreneur should be able to give you. And the last talk from Starter is Cortland Allen's talk, Navigating the Startup Landscape. So Cortland Allen, who has also appeared on this show, he founded Indie Hackers. They've been acquired by Stripe, and he and his brother uh, now work for Stripe and run IndieHackers.com. And I thought he nailed it. He compared starting a startup to these four different landscapes. And one is like an airplane taking off. One is painting for gold. One is climbing a like a rock wall at a gym. And he had these pretty deep metaphors that, that ran well. And he talked about a lot of the myths. And that's what I appreciate about him is, you know, he's done, I think he said 300 or 400 interviews with startup founders. And if you go to IndieHackers.com, there's this big wall of apps and their revenue and all that kind of stuff. And he's kind of pulled that out between he and his brother, pulled that out of all these people. And to me, it was... Um, um, 
I loved hearing the myths of like, well, this is probably how you think, you know, you think that Dropbox just started growing because they had this dual referral system and that's what everyone always talks about. And here's what it actually looked like, you know, and then he, and he called out some other apps where our, the common myth is that they grew through this one big thing, Hotmail, right? With the, their email link in the footer or Airbnb where they added photographers and it hockey sticked them. And it was kind of like, yeah, it helped. But there were also like 50 other things they were doing really well. And they had a huge team of people constantly executing and eventually they just hit critical mass, you know? So I appreciated the reality check. And I also thought his, his talk was really well delivered. And I thought the, the metaphor held up and I thought the analogies helped me kind of understand the content better. The one that I actually thought was really funny in his talk was the the startup runway of almost certain death. And he had that picture of an airplane, you know, going off of a cliff. And on the other side of the cliff, there's an ocean and it's got a shark jumping out of the water and there's snakes and a, a wall of spears and fire. And, you know, it was just very, very on point, I'll say. Yeah, that, that was cool. So two more microconfs down, sir, 14 and 15. It, I think it took a lot out of both of us this year. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Although I, I do want to say there was one other thing that we did this year that we have not done at scale in the past, which was we instituted the scholarship program for Starter Edition. And of all the things that have kind of happened this year, I'd probably say I'm probably most proud of that one because it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we really didn't talk about on the podcast and we didn't talk about or market too much because I was still trying to figure things out. But we had a bunch of sponsors who stepped up and really helped make it happen. And I think that it's something that we could do more of moving forward. In the past, we've had individuals who do it. Patrick McKenzie has done it a couple of times. And, you know, we've obviously offered sponsors quietly in the background because we can't help everyone, but there are certain situations where it feels warranted and you really just want to do the right thing and help people who are in a position to help themselves, but they just need that little extra push. So I want to send a big thanks out to Stripe, SureSwift Capital, Brian Marbles, Scott Nixon, and Balsamic Software, and, and Aslo for helping to put the scholarship program together and make it possible for, I think it was between 12 and 15 scholarships that we gave out this year to Starter Edition. So definitely a big round of thanks to those guys. Sure. And, you know, man, I, I, you know, you obviously headed this part up and I know you put a ton of time and, and energy into it. So thanks for, thanks for doing that. I think it's a huge win for MicroConf and I think it's a big win for the community as well. And I think with that, we'll call it a day. If you have a question for us, you can call it into our voicemail number at 1-888-801-9690, or you can email it to us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt for Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for startups, and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.